This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, Bills Mafia. We know there's only one topic every day. All Bills, all the time. And now Matt Bovey and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo. Two weeks away. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Matt Bovey, Sal Capaccio joining you as we get ready for the NFL Draft. It's the event we talk about every single day as we get closer and closer. Sal, I think Buffalo sports fans need a little bit of a reprieve after the Sabres loss. Now that they're officially out of it, we really need to focus on the draft. We need something to be optimistic about. You know, it is good, though, that you know, the Sabres kept us going for 80 games as compared to 50 or 60 because it takes us right into the draft. Whereas I think in many years past, well, the last 12 years, essentially, um, we were talking about the NFL draft much earlier, which isn't a bad thing, but the Sabres didn't really keep our attention for long enough. In this case, this year, they did. I was thinking today, Matt, you know, the draft has become such big, big business. We know that everybody everybody's got like this draft platform. Everybody becomes an analyst. And I think, you know, Mel Kuyper was kind of the first guy who really started that. And I'm old enough to remember the blue book that Mel Kuyper used to send out. And I subscribed to that thing when I was in high school and college, and I would get that blue book and I'd go through it. And all of a sudden, you know, now you see Mel Kuyper, then you would see Mel Kuyper on TV and then it became a little bit bigger and then they changed the draft. And now there's so many great draft analysts. We're going to talk to one Chris Trapasso in a little while, but it's become such a huge, huge deal for so many people who want to analyze the NFL. And I think that that's why Chris is the perfect person to join this episode of the podcast one, because obviously he can get us caught up to speed. But like we said, a lot of people were still in hockey mode, so they might not be as up on the prospects as they usually are because, hey, the Sabres were relevant going into the middle of April, which is still kind of cool. So we're going to be joined right now by Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports. Chris, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. No, thanks for having me on. I was bummed about the Sabres, too. I'm, I'm here in Western New York. For those who don't know, I'm a you know, certainly a big Sabres fan, been watching since the Dominic Hasek era. But what's fun is like, and I and I think this is kind of the obvious takeaway that this is like one of the youngest teams in like the entire league. And yes. I think it's going to be so fun once it gets back to October and we get to see some, maybe some new additions to this young core, especially with Devin Levi, how well he played down the stretch. So it's like bittersweet that they lost, but the fact that there's such a bright future makes it not for like, oh, another year with missing the playoffs. Like, it doesn't really feel the same. Well, yeah, it feels uh, like the first we, what you didn't know is we brought you on to talk about the NHL draft and the oh, <laughs> finishing and the, the lottery and how high they can get. They're not going to get Connor Bedard, but who knows? So brush up on your, maybe your European skaters, you know, okay. I mean, who, 
North American guys, whatever, you know, maybe you should make sure you brush up here. Okay. There's so many weird I, rules with the NHL draft too. It would be yeah. like an absolute nightmare to try and figure that out of like, Oh, this guy's Canadian. So he can't play overseas or this guy's American, right. blah, blah, blah. Chris, as we, you know, get ready for the NFL draft. So like we said, we're two weeks away at this point, Sal and I have both said on the podcast several times, like offense all the way, but yeah. we're going to kind of like leave that out there. So people keep listening. So let's start with defense for the yeah. bills specifically. It feels like linebacker makes the most sense. Who are some names that Bills fans should be keeping an eye on if they don't go offense and they end up doing something on defense? Yeah, it's not a great linebacker class. I don't think I've been on the Jack Campbell from Iowa train like for most of the draft season, not just because he's 6'5 and 245 like Tremaine Edmonds was, <laughs> but because he's so good in coverage already. I, I think that was the one area of Tremaine Edmonds game that it took him time to become a consistent coverage player. He always made plays, pass breakups, a few interceptions early in his career, but we also saw him get targeted by teams, running backs out of the backfield, tight ends. Um, I think Jack Campbell is already more pro-ready in coverage than Edmonds was when he was coming into the league in 2018. Beyond him, there's two other players that I think could be of interest or different than Jack Campbell. Trenton Simpson from Clemson. He's not nearly as good in coverage, didn't make as many plays on the football in college, but he's kind of that quarterback spy. He super explosive, just more of an off the ball, almost slot defender where you just want to move him around on the defensive side. And then Drew Sanders from Arkansas. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have seen these names in the mock drafts over the last couple months. Drew Sanders to me is someone that you don't want him sinking in coverage and are not going to expect him to have three or four interceptions and 10 pass breakups, but you can reduce him down to the line of scrimmage and let him rush as an edge rusher, which maybe that does add a little more intrigue um, to his resume as a draft prospect. So those three, I think the bills are looking at them in the first round or maybe after a trade back. Those are the three that I think have the most, I guess, instant impact ability or that the bills would maybe pick to be that, Tremaine Edmonds replacement on the defense. Yeah, I, I'm going to actually, Matt, say that I think I've warmed up a little bit more to uh, Jack Campbell and say it's not all offense. And that's because the Bills have addressed mostly offense during the free agency period, right? I mean, they really haven't attacked the defense much. And they do have a hole sitting right there in the middle of their defense. I think this comes down to, Chris, how much faith do they have in a third-round pick in Terrell Bernard? And that's a yeah. guy, a third-round pick is a pretty premium choice. That's a day-two pick. A guy like Tyrell Dodson, I think they know what he can do, but where where is this team right now and what they believe is on the roster versus bringing in a guy like Jack Campbell, who I think checks all the boxes for a guy like Sean McDermott. Yeah. And then there's that little nugget that he's been working out with Luke Keekley yeah, during the right. process. And we know that uh, Luke Keekley usually like one or two practices a year comes up to Buffalo and hangs out with Sean McDermott and the team and Brandon Bean, like those guys that he knows so well from Carolina. The one thing about Terrell Bernard, I, I think going into this offseason and then after Tremaine Edmonds signs with the Chicago Bears, I thought, you know, there's no way that the Bills are going to roll out Terrell Bernard and Matt Milano as their two linebackers because they'd be one of the lightest boxes in the entire league at linebacker. But they've used Taron Johnson as a quasi linebacker and he's tiny. He's a nickel corner. So there is... I guess some precedent that the Bills are unafraid to use a lighter box or a lighter group of linebackers. And really, in today's NFL, yes, teams obviously still run the football. They're still pulling guards. They're still 220-plus pound running backs. 
But in general, I think it, it's probably better if both of your linebackers are around the 220, 230 pound range, as opposed to, you know, having Brandon Spikes back there um, at one of the linebacker spots. So there could be maybe, uh, you know, an idea that it's better to be more athletic and to prioritize that style as opposed to just wanting to pick a linebacker because he's really big. So that would kind of be the um, argument for, hey, maybe they'll just not address linebacker or do it later in the draft because they did, like you said, Sal, spend a pretty premium pick on a linebacker last year. Jack Campbell, so he's huge. So he's working out with Luke Keekley, but I just checked. He did not wrestle in high school. He played basketball. No, <laughs> so that might take him off of the Bills draft board because he wasn't a wrestler. Chris, is it too early to take him in the first round? Because that's one of the things that I've seen is maybe he might be the best linebacker in the class for what the Bills are looking for, but that doesn't mean he should be a first round pick. So this idea with Jack Campbell is kind of what I run into a lot as a draft analyst because I have him graded as my number 22 overall player. So I don't think it would be too early, but, and I think the bills might have to kind of wrestle with this too. And there's certainly pun intended there like that. Um, that. How does the rest of the league view him? Could they trade back out of the first round and still get him in the early to mid thirties? Could they maybe even pick him in the second round? I've seen a lot of mock drafts that have him there at 59 overall. So um, how the rest of the league views him versus how the Bills view him might be totally different. And I agree, it does kind of feel like the league isn't quite as high on Jack Campbell as, you know, picking him at number 27 overall. It only takes one, as we know, right? It only takes exactly. one to fall in love. It doesn't matter where it is. We always see teams, oh, I can't believe that guy got drafted in that spot. And Cole I strange. Be there you go. That's right. And I want to be clear with our listeners. When we talk about linebacker, we're talking off ball linebacker. We're talking yes. middle linebacker. You know, one, one area I want to remind everybody when Tremaine Edmonds left, there was this thought that Matt Milano could go to the mic. Ugh. That is not happening. We've asked, no. we've asked the bills yeah, are not moving. Matt Milano. He is a will linebacker. So there, if they do anything, he is staying there. They're drafting a mic. And then they went out and signed Taylor Rapp, which I think guys plays into this. But Taylor Rapp is a guy mm. who played all three levels of safety. Maybe there's some sort of hybrid defense that Sean McDermott wants to run, given what you said, Chris, which is right about Taron Johnson in the slot. You could use Taylor Rapp there, too. You could use him as a linebacker. I'm super interested in what the philosophy is of Sean McDermott on this defense next year. Yeah, I just wonder if there is some type of evolution. I kind of was hinting at it earlier that, again, I because they've had Tremaine Edmonds, who is so big, he's like the biggest middle linebacker in the league, that mm -hmm. there's a thought, and for 100 years in the NFL, you need to have this one bruising, big, downhill linebacker. When you're facing the Chiefs or even the Bengals, do you necessarily need or maybe even want that? Or do you want Matt Milano, Taron Johnson, Taylor Rapp, and Terrell Bernard across the second line of your defense? Smaller, athletic, can cover. So there may be room for this new philosophy, again, an evolution that the Bills aren't going to try to go with size and downhill ability at the linebacker spot because they know what they have to contend with even in their own conference with those other top teams. Yeah, I was just thinking about Miami. It's like you don't really need exactly. those big bruising linebackers no, for a team that's all. got Taylor – or excuse me, Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill and et cetera, et cetera. So, Chris, we just talked about the linebackers, specifically you know, the middle linebackers, but defensive line seems like it's probably the only other logical place where the Bills could be taking somebody if they select somebody on defense. I guess maybe they could take a safety, but that seems like it would probably be too early in the first round. Are there any defensive linemen – kind of specifically in that second part of the first round, who you think would be a really good fit for the Bills? I don't. And I think uh, it's 
just my opinion. You could probably have another draft analyst on who could give you a few names. I mean, I could tell you Mozzie Smith from Michigan is this really wide, really athletic nose tackle. He is not just a space eater. Um, he can get up the field a little bit. I, I know that they don't have a defensive tackle signed past 2023, and I do think that will play into the Bills' draft plans, but maybe later in the draft. It doesn't feel like a huge need. It doesn't feel like a position that really moves the needle that you want to spend even a first or a second-round pick on. Mozzie Smith and Brian Breezy from Clemson are the two guys that I've kind of circled as, hey, if the board doesn't fall in a specific way or a bunch of the receivers are gone and Jack Campbell's gone or they don't love Jack Campbell or that idea, they could go with one of those two players that feel like mid to late or mid to late twenties is probably where they'll ultimately be selected. And the one thing I'll say with Brian Breezy, if you look back at mock drafts and I think the mock draft that they forced me to do right after the draft last year, um, like the way too early mock drafts, Brian Breezy was like a top 10 pick across the board because he was a big recruit. Uh, he's like 6'5", 290, 295, can play any position, very athletic, just had injuries at Clemson. But when he's healthy, he can really wreak havoc from all the defensive line spots. Yeah, a couple points before we wrap up this segment with Chris, and then we'll focus on the offense. I want to go back to your point about Miami guys a little while ago. It's right. Miami's not that type of offense. But you know my, what Miami did was they're the team that stands out to me that they pulled Matt Milano out of the box with motion and got – Taron Johnson in the box and took advantage of that, right? So I think yeah. the Bills took – remember that first game, who was it that ran all over the Bills for the Dolphins, right, and, and the first time they played, and that's what they did. And I think the Bills see that, and that's why maybe we could see a, a philosophy change. The other thing is on the D-line, as you said, Matt. Chris, I agree. It's not a great class, right? And, you know, the, you, you look at this group, and the Bills, if you look at their numbers, every single one of their D-linemen basically interior guys. is not a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed mm-hmm. Oliver's playing on his fifth-year option. Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, they just re-signed Jordan Phillips. I suspect, guys, there's going to be an overhaul of the D-line a year from now. I don't think it has to happen this year. I think they're probably comfortable with what call. they have, maybe adding a little bit of depth right there, you know what I mean? So it's going to be really interesting. All right, let's uh, let's let's focus on the offense. Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports Draft Analyst, and it's always game day in Buffalo. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Sal Capaccio from It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day, your weekly source for all things Buffalo Bills. Right on time, your time. In the car, navigate the streets with NFL wisdom in your ear. We accompany every errand you need to run. Washing the windows or vacuuming the carpets? Don't just clean, conquer. Podcasts make you more productive because we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow It's Always Game Day in Buffalo in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Chris, so here we go. Bills are having Zay Flowers in. They're Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, Jordan Addison's been linked to them. Jalen Hyatt's been linked to them. But we have Jim Nagy, who I respect a lot, who tweets out the other day, Senior Bowl director. He says, most teams that he's spoken to only have one wide receiver in the first round. That's Jackson Smith and Jigba of Ohio State. 
it doesn't mean it's a bad class, but where do you fall on how the class kind of sorts itself out and where the separation is? Yeah, it's not a bad class, but I think after being spoiled by the Jamar Chases and the Jalen Waddles and even last year, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, it's not that type of group. There's not these instant plug in as your wide receiver one, throw them 180 targets and you're going to get 1300 yards in year one. But I think, and I did see that tweet from Jim Nagy. It's great to bring that up, Sal. Um, I think that's good news for the Bills because if there are a bunch of teams in front of them that love Quentin Johnston and a lot of the players that you mentioned that the Bills have been tied to, um, then they'd probably probably be sitting there at 27 and four or five receivers are off the board and the Bills are like, ah, I don't know if we want to pick the sixth or seventh wide receiver at 27 overall. I actually saw a tweet from actually former WGR employee um, Matthew Collar, who I do a podcast with every week. It's mostly on the Vikings, but we kind of dive into the uh, NFL draft this time of year. He brought up a good point that drafting your wide receiver two in the first round is not like bad business anymore. I mean, we've seen it. Certainly the Bills saw it with T Higgins and Tyler Boyd in Cincinnati. Uh, the Dolphins have two really, really good receivers. Jalen Waddle was a top 10 pick. So if the Bills are like, hey, we love Zay Flowers, or we love Jordan Addison, even though we know he's not going to be the guy in this Stefan Diggs-led passing offense, that's completely fine. And I think that's better um, a, a better role for a lot of these wide receivers. I like Zay Flowers a lot. I have a first-round grade on him. Smith and Jigba, same thing. Quinton Johnston, I like a lot. He's my wide receiver one. I don't know if I want any of those wide receivers to come in and ask to be the guy right away, and they certainly wouldn't need to be the guy here in Buffalo. I love that you said, and you compared it to business because it's also good business from the standpoint that Gabe Davis is going to get paid a lot of money next year, whether it's by the bills or whether it's by somebody else. So you need to have a contingency exactly. plan. If you're not ready to pay him $15 million to be your wide receiver number two. And that's why I think this is such a perfect situation for the bills, because like you said, you can ease this person into their role with the offense as a wide receiver three, even a wide receiver four. And then if you like what they bring to the table, then you can say, okay, Gabe, like this is what we're going to give you. And if you're not going to take it, then we're going to look elsewhere. So you mentioned Flowers, you mentioned Hyatt. Who are the ones that you think are the best fit for the Bills? Okay, so from what the Bills have done and what they've liked with Brian Dable and then Ken Dorsey, they, they've liked, I think, smaller separators who are pretty good down the field. I Obviously, Gabe Davis is one of the bigger receivers on the roster, but I, I think they've leaned in that direction, which is good for this class because a lot of these wide receivers are smaller. I've been of the biggest belief that they need to be better after the catch. Stefan Diggs is one of the elite after the catch wide receivers in the NFL. He does everything well, contested catches route. Um, you know, like his routes are amazing. He's probably one of the best route runners in the league. Quinton Johnson to me, I think he's not perfect. He actually reminds me somewhat of Gabe Davis and that, at times, he's going to look awkward in those contested catch situations and maybe drop some big passes. But a lot of times, he's going to make those difficult grabs. And where he's different from Gabe Davis is that at around a similar size, he is awesome after the catch. He's like 6'2", 210 pounds, really like a running back with the ball in his hands, contact balance, vision. He is not just a vertical threat who's explosive. He had a, over a 40-inch vertical at the Combine. He, to me, is the one that I think what the Bills need to kind of infuse into their offense. But Zay Flowers is kind of the guy that I think, and Jordan Addison, the more prototype for what the Bills have liked in the Sean McDermott era. 
Well, there are pass catchers outside of wide receiver, a tight end class that is pretty good at the top and probably has some depth as well, but I'll let you speak mm-hmm. on that more. And the guy that we've been kind of focusing on a little bit here is Darnell Washington, maybe the biggest fit for the Bills, how freak athletic he is. We know the Bills love traits, right? They love traits. Look at Greg Rousseau. Look at Spencer Brown, the guys that they've drafted. This guy has traits, Chris. So can you kind of give us a little um, your scouting report on Darnell Washington? Does he fit at 27, and where else could the Bills go with the tight ends if they want to add one there? Well, Sale, I – I think you said it perfectly that he fits that prototype for what the Bills have liked over the last couple of drafts. Um, these big oversized blockers, linebackers, uh, just big time specimens. That's Darnell Washington. He 6'7, 264, ran 464, one of the fastest 40 yard dash times among all the tight ends, which was really impressive at that size. He was the number two athlete recruit in the entire country uh, in the class of 2020. So this is not a slow lumbering tight end. He's he's not someone that's going to create space like George Kittle or Travis Kelsey, but I think he's good enough as a receiver to warrant probably a late first or an early second round pick. Where I think there is some added intrigue is he is a legitimate road grader as a blocker. There was a couple, I think, what, four or five drafts ago, TJ Hawkinson went right ahead of the Bills when they picked Ed Oliver in 2019 and and. The scouting report on him was, yeah, he's a pretty good blocker. He can move people, but he was smaller. Darnell Washington is like a sixth offensive lineman on the field. I've said that. I've written that. I think a lot of people kind of feel the same in the NFL draft community. So that could add some intrigue where the Bills have been kind of linked to, hey, maybe they're going to go offensive tackle, right tackle. If you add him on the field, and there were some talks last year when they signed O.J. Howard that like the Bills were going to run more. 12 personnel, they were going to throw off defenses by, hey, is it a run, is it a pass, with Dawson Knox and a tight end. If you have Darnell Washington and Dawson Knox out there, it would be very hard to decipher if it is going to be a run or a pass. And if it is a run, he can really move people on the edge. Uh, At Georgia, didn't really throw him the ball a lot, but they ran the football and ran it well. And I think a big reason, certainly just the regular offensive linemen there were very good at Georgia, but Darnell Washington at his size, with his technique, he's a great blocker who I think is just scratching the surface as a receiver. And, and real quick on the 12 personnel point. So I always say this, that, you know, if you look at really what the Bills have done, you think about the last few years, O.J. Howard, you mentioned, um, who was the guy they tried to, um, uh, the, from Seattle, the, the the free agent they signed a couple years ago, and then he didn't oh, work out. Um, um, and now I can't think of his name. Oh, my um, God. I know, right? Remember that? And he now I can't. a touchdown in the preseason game, and I'm told, oh, Hollister. Jacob, Jacob Hollister. Hollister. Thank you. Yeah. Another um, Wyoming guy. Yeah, there you go, right? And then you look at how I, – I know that they were very interested in TJ Hawkinson the year he came out. I think this has been something that they've wanted to do for quite a while. And then Tyler Croft, oh. right, a couple of years ago. But the 12 personnel thing, they did run a lot of 12 personnel last year. The difference is they didn't have a tight end. They did it with Bobby Hart. That's yeah. what they did. Yeah, they ran extra <laughs> linemen, lined them up at tight end because they didn't have a guy like Washington. So to me – Matt, I think that's a a clue. That's a clue. They've been searching for this. Yeah, and I but I agree. But at the same time, did you, either of you see the graphic that was floating around about the first tight end taken in the last ten drafts? It is very uninspiring. So I have it in front of me: Trey McBride, Kyle Pitts, Cole Met, T.J. Hawkinson, Hayden Hurst, O.J. Howard, Hunter Henry, Max Williams, Eric Ebron, and Tyler Eifert. Those are the first tight ends taken in the last ten drafts. And of that list, there's like one or two guys who I would be like, yeah, that was probably worth where they were drafted. Does that scare either of you off at all of like, they usually don't live up to the expectations. Well, 
I'll go as far to say, I think if they decided to pick Darnell Washington or a tight end in general at 27, he probably won't be the first off the board. It, there's, okay. it's, it's such a really good, it's a really good class. And I think some teams will view that and say, Hey, look in round two, we can get someone really good. But at 27, I would be surprised if someone like Dalton Kincaid from Utah, Michael Mayer from Notre Dame, even Luke Musgrave uh, from Oregon State, or even Sam Laporta from Iowa are not picked in front of them. So they probably would be picking the second or maybe even third tight end off the board if they go that route at 27. And I would say all those guys you just mentioned, that would be the group you'd put next if you want to say maybe if you wait to the second round, one of them could also yes. be there. Right, Chris? Absolutely. All right, just want to make sure on that. And then let's go to – um. The other spot, unless you have something more on receiver tight end, uh, Matt, you know, I, we'll, we'll touch on O-line before we get Chris out of here. Yeah, one thing before we get to O-line, Bijan Robinson feels like it is less likely after the Damian Harris signing, but for a while that was a name, and that's obviously a very big talking point. How good is he? Like, if somebody is going to take him in the first round, I know running backs in the first round are scary, but how good is this guy compared to some of the other first-round running backs the last couple of years? He's very similar to Saquon Barkley. The one area that I thought was pretty noticeable on film and he didn't test as well at the combine. He doesn't have that breakaway speed that Saquon Barkley had. Saquon Barkley was six foot two thirty three, So he was like the size of a fullback and ran four, four flat at the 2018 <laughs> combine. That's stupid. Bijan Robinson does not have that breakaway speed. Everything else, his vision, his ability to cut in tight space, um, for being a bigger back is impeccable. His contact balance is awesome. And kind of like Saquon Barkley, like from his freshman season at Texas, you could tell like this guy is going to be on the first round radar when he enters the league. So you're getting kind of a less fast version of Saquon Barkley. And I'm just, I think we all probably agree with this for the bills and just for teams in general, it's not the best way to allocate that first round pick. Yeah, and I don't think the Bills usually operate like that. I know that no. you can bring up a couple third-round picks, a second-round pick, but the Bills, that first-rounder, it just doesn't seem like it fits really what they want to do, and they certainly don't want to pay running backs, right? I think we've seen that mm -hmm. over the years as well. And if you draft one in the first round, you're going to give them the fifth-year option. You're going to pay them. I just think that that's just the way you kind of have to operate in that space. All right, let's talk offensive line before we get you out of here, Chris. Look, I'm of the belief that I don't think they're going to go interior. We can definitely mention it here. They they addressed it with Connor McGovern, um, and they still have Ryan Bates, who they paid a pretty nice salary to when they matched the offer a year ago from the Bears. But offensive tackle, Matt and I have talked a lot about, is it is it real what they're saying about Spencer Brown and how much they believe in him? Or is there a guy like Darnell Wright sitting right there, and they go, you know what? We could put him there, and Spencer Brown can fight for a backup swing role. I mean, what is your thought on, A, the offensive tackle group at 27 that could be there, and B, what they have been saying about how much they believe in Spencer Brown. Yeah, if Darnell Wright was there, uh, I think the Bills would seriously have to consider it and maybe even over some of these wide receivers because this wide receiver class, round two, round three, you can get, I think, someone that can be that secondary or tertiary option right away. Darnell Wright, career right tackle at Tennessee. His handwork is awesome. He's a great pass protector. And at like 6'4 and 330, 335, and that's probably being kind to him. He's a, he's a big dude. He's really athletic and you don't see him on the ground very much. He's really balanced. He's kind of like the opposite of Spencer Brown in that when they picked Spencer Brown, it was like, Hey, it's all about upside. How good can he be after he adds some weight in year three, year four, and maybe the bills are still banking on that with Darnell, Wright, You're getting a, a battle tested from the sec blocker uh, that I think they would seriously have to consider. He's my number one offensive tackle ahead of Paris Johnson ahead of Broderick Jones from Georgia. If Anton Harrison from Oklahoma was there, I think 
Maybe he could be a dark horse selection, maybe more so a trade back for him. Um, not exactly your classic Oklahoma tackle in that he's not this big lumbering mauler. He's actually pretty athletic in his own right, but a good player. I just wonder, and this might sound silly, I just wonder if Brandon Bean would be a little bit reluctant to pick another Oklahoma offensive <laughs> lineman after what happened with Cody Ford. And that's not scouting the helmet. It's the idea that at Oklahoma, it's an air raid offense. It's wide open. A lot of the edge rushers that they faced, that Anton Harrison faced, um, were not necessarily rushing the passer. They were almost trying to play contain early in his career for Caleb Williams and even last year for Dylan Gabriel, who runs around a lot. I think that doesn't really prepare them in that offense, in those air raid offenses for what they're going to see in the NFL. But Anton Harrison and Darnell Wright, I think, could be there at 27, and those would be the two picks that the Bills would have to consider for a lot of what Sale kind of laid out to then you reduce Spencer Brown back to a swing role. And I think in that role, maybe to be the extra offensive lineman on a run to the right, that's where you kind of like him more if you're not fully happy with his development at this point. Chris, we've talked about a lot of names. We've talked about a lot of positions. You're the GM for the day. You're on the clock and I know what's going to happen. You know, we don't know what's going to happen, but of all the people you've mentioned, who do you think is the best fit for the Bills? I think it's Jack Campbell. And I, like for a long time, was on the, hey, they need to pick a receiver in the first round train. I know Jeremy White uh, is very (laughs) much on that train. But having watched this entire wide receiver class, I really believe that going linebacker, addressing what I think is the biggest need in round one, because it really drops off after those three names that I mentioned. And I'm really not as high on Trenton Simpson as a lot of people are. And then going wide receiver in rounds two or round three, you can still get someone, again, that can be that secondary guy behind Diggs, behind Davis, um, that just works into the competition with a lot of these other young pieces and free agents. That's the best plan of attack. That doesn't mean that's how it's going to happen. But address your biggest need first with Jack Campbell in the first round. And then maybe your more important or most important need, which is just the value that you get at receiver having a direct impact on Josh Allen on the second day of the draft. Chris, we uh, appreciate you, of course, and um, we want to say thank you very much. As always, I know it's a busy time of year, but, you know, giving us some of your time here on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo, we always appreciate you, man. You do great work. Thank you so much. And tell everybody where they can find all your stuff, obviously. CBSSports.com. I'm pretty sure I'm doing the real-time grades for every pick. It's it's not exactly great on the eyes for me uh, from rounds two to round seven this year. So just check out the CBS Sports Draft Tracker to get – my thoughts in real time on all the picks starting on Friday night. Thanks, Chris. Right. And uh, Matt and I are going to talk a little bit about the Bills and what's up next here on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Hey, everyone. This is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Sal, what's up next is we should be hearing from Bill's general manager, Brandon Bean, in some capacity next week. And that'll probably be the last time we get to hear from him up until the day of the draft. So there's going to be a lot of things that he needs to talk about, whether it's one, the actual draft, or two, some of the decisions that the team has made really in free agency and their lack of trade, you know, all these things that people want to talk about. 
Yeah, we're going to be out at the stadium maybe Monday or Tuesday um, next week, April 17th, 18th in there. We haven't had our official media schedule yet, but it is hard to believe that it's already here. And yes, the team is going to be doing workouts before the draft, and then they're going to have the draft a week and a half later, and then they're going to have rookie mini camp shortly after that, and then we're back in full swing, and they go through their nine-week off-season program, which lasts over 10 weeks, and they have mandatory mini camp in the middle of June, and here we go, Matt. You talked about it on the uh, the pod that I was not around. Um, training camp looks like it's Fisher, end of July. I was just thinking now, we are right now right around the point of the midway point, if you will, of the offseason. Because the season ended for the Bills like end of January, February, March, April. That's three months, right? Then you have May, June, July. There we go. Now we're back at training camp. It's pretty wild. So I think one of the other things that we should probably mention too is that we spent a lot of time on our first podcast this week talking about if it was a good idea to bring back Shaq Lawson. And then literally hours later, yes. they officially brought back Shaq Lawson, which is cool to know that Brandon listens to the podcast and then was <laughs> able to pick up the phone and sign Shaq. I think Shaq Lawson was a really good player for this team last year. I, yeah. I think he was one of their more consistent players on the entire defense overall, actually. When he played, he was effective. He was efficient. Um, he's not Greg Rousseau necessarily in the athletic traits and things like that, but I thought that – and I th I'll give Shaq a lot of credit. I think you go back to Shaq's rookie year. They drafted him in 2016 under Rex. He was listed, He was a linebacker in a 3-4. just was never a fit, but he was a Clemson guy. Rex took him. Yeah. And the way his career evolved, I think by the time he – Got to his fourth year, he was. We were starting to see it, and then the Bills, you know, they allowed him to leave via free agency. They didn't tr try too hard to keep him. It seemed like, which was fine. They went a different direction, and then he goes back to Buffalo. And I think that he had he's put together another uh, a nice season last year when he came back. Yeah, one other person for some reason that I wanted to bring up right here because I don't think he is signed anywhere, and it was something we mentioned briefly when we talked to Chris about their lack of kind of depth on the defensive line and players that are signed long term. Do you remember the connection to Puna Ford? Didn't Ryan Talbot put out there that they were interested, but it might cost them too much money? And then the Taylor Rapp stuff kind of got the wheels going in the head. Could you like try and sign Puna Ford to a really short term deal and see if both sides, you know, benefit from it long term? I think he went back to the Seahawks. Did he? I think he did. Yeah. If I, the Seahawks, let's see. Um, yeah, I think that's the case. I want to go and check, but I, I remember that he's listed as a Seahawks player on his Wikipedia page. So, yeah, usually it's I, don't, free agent not. I don't remember him signing anywhere. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Seahawks predicted to sign playmaker to $15 million. I'm looking at some of the news items. I don't know. We should be, I should probably know this more than I do, but I, I don't think it. No, well, maybe, I sprung this. No, maybe I sprung. he is uh, uh, still a free agent. I guess the way it's looking from some of the Seahawks things I'm reading. I mean, I sprung this on you completely out of the blue, but it was just a name that I had been thinking about when we were talking about defensive linemen. Okay. So predicted to resign. So I think it's, people are expecting him to resign, but maybe, I don't know. I, how much money do they have there, right? I mean, what are you supposed to spend? The Bills have said outright, like, it's like Couple minimum base basically for free agents now. They're not going to risk that third-round comp pick they have coming next year. Yeah, basically, they've got to keep it under that threshold so they make sure they can get that additional third-round pick next year, which is really smart business for the Bills. Just one, because the third-round pick is valuable, but two, you're going to need players on your roster that don't make a ton of money third round picks as examples. And that's something that they're going to need to lean on, especially with Josh Allen's contract skyrocketing now from here until the rest of his time, really when he's in Buffalo, they have 67 players on their roster. Okay. So, so but that's the thing they need to sign more people like they need to, they do, but not a ton. Let's remember they're going to have six draft picks right now as it's scheduled. Mm -hmm. Right. So that gets you to 73. 
And they I assume usually have 10 to 12 undrafted free agents. I was going to say 10. So that gets you to 83. Sure. They have a room for about seven more guys, but those are the guys that are hanging around looking for deals, haven't had a job yet. But I want to remind everybody, once the draft is over, I think that's when you also revisit your own free agents. Taiwan Jones, Dean Marlowe, A.J. Klein, Bobby Hart, Jake Kumaro, Greg Van Roten. I'm going to say Cole Beasley and Roger Saffold. I don't think they're necessarily in the plans. But I think, Matt, that might be where you get. To me, those guys hang out and say, you tell them, look, let us get through the draft. Let's see what we need. You, you know the system. We can bring you in right away. It's seamless. You don't have to go out and sign them right away because they know your system. You know the player. I would expect maybe one or two of those guys to come back to Buffalo. Of all of the people you just mentioned, I think A.J. Klein makes the most sense. With the uncertainty of what's going to happen at linebacker, even if you do go out and you draft a linebacker with a really premium pick, I just think you know that A.J. Klein can at least hold down the fort next to Matt Milano, and the two of them have had somewhat, you know, they've had a little bit of success next to each other. So that's why of the names you've mentioned, I think he would be the biggest priority. Yeah, let's um talk a little bit about, you know, around the league and especially the AFC East, because we're getting crunch time now here with this Jets Rogers thing, right? What, what happens? What, well, is it, maybe it's not to you, but what happens if you get to the draft and you don't have the trade done yet? And the Jets are sitting there with a high grade on a quarterback who, and they're, they're, they're sitting right there in the first round. I think you, I think you probably just have a cutoff. And I think that we're not going to reach that cutoff. Like, excuse me, maybe the cutoff is, the day of the draft. Like if we don't have a deal in place, then there's no deal on the table and we're going to start to look elsewhere, but I just don't think it's going to get to it. Oh, well, I mean, maybe you're so you don't think, okay, we have what we have, uh, two weeks, 15 days left to the draft. Mm -hmm. You think the deal gets done in the next 15 days? I do. Just from the way that everybody has always talked about it, it feels like it's more of a foregone conclusion. I'm sure both sides are just posturing to try and get the most out of it as possible. Like, I think the Jets are probably offering, I don't want to say they're lowballing, but the Packers are waiting to see how desperate that they ultimately get to see if they can get that extra pick or that extra asset that's coming back. So that's kind of what I think is happening. But I think both of them are turning the page and trying to figure out kind of what, what they're doing moving forward. I think it's obvious that you know you talk about leverage. Who has a leverage? To me, they both have motivation. They both want to get it done, right? But I, I could see the Packers and Mark Murphy, Clarence native, by the way, mm-hmm. saying basically, hey, he's Aaron Rodgers, and I'm giving you up. I'm not giving him away for less than a first-round pick and more. And the Jets going, yeah, but you have no choice or else you're going to pay him, so we're not giving you that. And I think that's where the stalemate seems to come in. And then you have the, 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 the Lamar Jackson situation still sitting there in Baltimore. They sign Odell Beckham. Lamar is putting on social media all this stuff about bringing him in, and yeah, he's happy about it. Apparently, they talked before that. It seems like Lamar is maybe getting ready to return to Baltimore, which is kind of blowing my mind, actually, after everything they went through. He said, we. Like, he's joining, you know, he was referring to the Ravens as we, so he clearly still thinks of himself as a Raven. And it feels like, at this point, like, He's going to go back. I just get the sense that, especially after the Odell Beckham stuff and all the fanfare and them FaceTiming each other and the comments that have been made, like that's going to happen. I also don't think even though they paid him significantly more than probably most teams were going to, I don't think Odell Beckham would be going to Baltimore if he didn't have a firm belief that Lamar was going to be the quarterback there. Uh, Okay, let me, I don't know if that's true. Really? Because they paid him a lot of money. He may say, like, okay, I don't care who the quarterback is. I'm getting 15 million. Nobody else is paying me more than eight. 
Mm-hmm. Well, right? I, I maybe I'm thinking I'm saying maybe teams would give them ten or twelve instead of fifteen. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I, obviously, I don't think the Bills could have got to that ten or twelve nope. mark, or the Chiefs could have got to that ten or twelve mark. But I'm sure there were other teams out there that were probably kind of close. I agree with you though that they probably had a discussion. And Lamar's like, "Yeah, dude, I'm probably coming back or whatever." I that that probably helps him get there. But man, money talks, and if if Odell Beckham Jr. did not have anywhere close to the suitors would pay the money that Baltimore was, and Baltimore's like, "Come here, we'll give you guaranteed 15 million. You can make up to 18 million." He may say, "Hey, I hope you work it out with Lamar because I'm coming, and I I'm gonna I'm gonna get paid." I think it's fascinating. What is also interesting is so the Bills do not play. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens this year. They're not on the schedule. The only AFC North team they play is the Cincinnati Bengals. What do you think about Baltimore and what they do? Let's say Lamar does come back. I've seen a lot of people saying Todd Munkin's offense is going to be really good for Odell uh, with Lamar, with Rashad Bateman. Is Baltimore in the mix? I still don't see it. I think this is still Cincinnati's division, and I think Cleveland is not far behind, to be honest with you. Ooh, so you're going to say Cleveland's not far behind. I was going to say I don't think the Steelers are far behind. I think Cincinnati is the top dog. I liked what I saw from Kenny Pickett at the end of last year. I do too. I mean, I don't think reception like the last half of the year. Yeah, obviously, people are going to think of him listening to this podcast. People are going to think of his first ever start against the Bills. And he didn't even play that bad in that game. It was just a couple mistakes here and there. And the Bills were clicking and humming at that point. I don't know. I think the AFC North is a really good division. And I think that that's a very competitive division. I would say Baltimore's the second best team, though. But I do think that Cleveland and Pittsburgh are both really hot on their tail. And the reason I say that is because even though those other teams have nice players, when in doubt, rank things by the quarterbacks. I think Burrow's the best. I think Lamar's the second best. And then, you know, I don't know about Deshaun Watson because Deshaun Watson a couple years ago, I would have had up in that same category as those two. But last year, he didn't really look like the same Deshaun Watson and Kenny Pickett, you know, the verdict's still out. So I would still say the Ravens are the second best team in that division, probably a playoff team. Well, I'm a, I'm a Mike Tomlin fan. I think, you know, he's done great, a great job and he's never had a losing season. And I will agree with this and tell you uh, from what you're saying about Pittsburgh, they have had a good off season. I really like the the moves they've made this off season and Kenny Pickett did look very good down the stretch last year. So there's no doubt they could be in the mix. I don't see them challenging Cincinnati. They're still too good with Burrow and all those offensive weapons, but I do think the Steelers could be right there in the mix by the way yeah go go ahead ahead. i just had something kind of embarrassing happen to me so i just looked it up when you said that they didn't play the ravens this year i forgot their opponent like obviously you know the division and you know some of the notable ones but i think it's been so long since i've thought about it i had to go look up and be like okay where are we going this year who are the away opponents (laughs) who are the home opponents like that threw me off a little bit i know their schedule is their away schedule this year is a gauntlet it is crazy but yeah no i was like a little because in years past, the schedule is going to come out in early May, and I'll have the schedule memorized two weeks later. Like yep. every single game, time, week, all of that will be in the back of my head. But I just had like a little brain fart of like, hey, where are we going this year? Well, uh, we should be getting the schedule in about a little less than a month. It's going to be pretty, pretty much, I think, the first week or so of May. And we're going to definitely talk a lot more about that. We have some plans for it's always game day in Buffalo. Speaking of it's always game day, I'll leave you with this trivia. Speaking of AFC North, and I'm going to credit the always game day in Cleveland host, Daryl Ryder, who's also, he's me in Cleveland. He's the beat reporter uh, for the fan in Cleveland. I had Daryl Ryder on our extra point show on WGR with myself and Joe DiBiase. And as I said, Daryl hosts the always game day in Cleveland podcast as well here on Odyssey. And he 
gave us the stat, and I did not realize. Matt, can you tell me the last time the Cleveland Browns finished ahead of the Pittsburgh Steelers? Not even oh, win the division, just yeah. ahead of the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC North. Um, I would say early 2000s. That's my 1989. guess. 1989. Oh my God. Now, granted, they, they didn't have a team for four years, but who cares? I mean, that's still incredible. 1989. 34 years. That's just awful. Now, I'm not talking winning the division. I'm talking just finishing ahead of one team in the division, the Steelers. So when's the last time they won the division then? I think it might have been that year because the stat was the year the Bills went to Cleveland in the Ronnie Harmon drop pass, which I was a junior in high school, went to that game. Yeah, that was like one of the crazy games that could have had five straight Super Bowls, right? Or was that the year yeah. before the Super Bowl run started? No, that was that was um that was the year before the Super Bowl run started. Eighty eight, they go to Cincinnati losing the AFC championship. Eighty nine, they go to Cleveland losing the divisional round. Ninety, they go to the Super Bowl. But yeah, that was a great eighty nine Browns team. But that's the last time they even finished ahead of the Steelers in the division, which is insane. We think here how the Patriots just lorded over the Bills and everybody for a while for mm -hmm. twenty years. 35 years. That's bananas. And what you're basically telling me is the AFC championship, and then they had the game where they lost in the divisional round. So there is still hope that even though the Bills lost in the divisional round this past yes. year, well, for the last two years, I guess, that yes. they could go on a run and go to four straight Super Bowls, and maybe they'll win one this time instead of losing all of them. There's, There's hope, Sal. There, there is hope. We'll leave everybody with hope today. We'll leave everybody with reminding them that they can download and subscribe to the, to It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. We hope you do that. Sal Capaccio, WGR, Matt Bove, WKBW-TV Channel 7 in Buffalo. We want to thank, by the way, Lucas Buckley for doing a great job on this podcast as well. He's always doing a great job helping us out producing. And Jake Galley. Now, it's Galley or Galley. I don't know Jake's how you say his last name. Maybe he's he can tell me in my ear or something. But we want to thank uh, him as well because he was a very big instrumental part of this particular podcast today. Yeah, and I think we're trying some new things, which we're excited about, and we'll yep. obviously keep everybody in the loop with those new things. Got big plans for It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. feel like we're just scratching the surface. We've appreciated everybody listening up to this point, and we're just hoping that we're going to keep on churning out content, keep growing, and it'll be a really fun offseason for the rest of it, and then you know we're going to be humming by the time the season gets here. Download, subscribe. It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Odyssey app, obviously, wherever you pod, iTunes, Spotify. Throw us a nice review and a five-star rating for Matt. I'm Sal. We'll talk to you next time.